Welcome to Transforming Faith, where we talk frankly about what needs to change in us, in the church, and in the world, even as we follow and worship a God who doesn't change. I am Ed Black, your host of Transforming Faith. Data has shown about 4 in 10 adults reported symptoms of anxiety and or depressive disorder since the start of the pandemic. We are typically quick to address our physical challenges, but are we as quick to seek out mental health assistance? How can we transform our whole selves by seeking assistance and help from others? Today, our guest is Nancy Smith, Director of Live Oak Counseling Center in Columbia. Nancy, welcome. Thank you, Ed. Nice to be here. We're glad you're here. Can you talk to us some about some of the services offered at Live Oak? and who may be eligible for the services? Absolutely. So Live Oak Counseling Center is a nonprofit, faith-based counseling center in the Midlands. And we offer counseling services for individuals, couples, and families, and our office is in the Shandon neighborhood. We are so blessed to use a house that is owned by Shandon Presbyterian Church on the backside of their campus. Live Oak has a team of five counselors, um, and one of them, Sarah Smith, sees clients as young as the age of three through teenagerhood, and the rest of the counselors see adults um, or late teens through senior citizen. Uh, we treat anxiety, depression, stress management, trauma, and we help people process grief issues, parenting difficulties, complicated family issues. Uh, we do not treat addictions or eating disorders, but we work with most other outpatient needs. I would imagine under stress management, trauma, anxiety, y'all have seen a large increase in the past two years. Absolutely. The stress and isolation related to the pandemic has resulted in a large increase, absolutely, in our caseloads. Live Oak has seen an unprecedented number of clients who are struggling, and just statistically to let you know, our client visits tripled between 2017 and 2021. So in 2021, we saw over 2,800 client visits um, at the center, and that's just beyond anything we've done before. I'm guessing y'all were probably not surprised about the increase, but you were probably surprised at the volume of the increase. Yes, yes, we definitely were. And, and we, we are seeing folks in person, but we're also um, offering online. And just like um, the pandemic has changed um, the dynamic with remote work, um, we've learned that we can do online or telehealth um, sessions, and so we offer that as well if people prefer that. One of the things I'm sure that they're not teaching right now or we're not teaching when you and the other therapists were coming through school is how do you counsel someone going through a pandemic because this is unprecedented? Right. There's no... There's no, there's no manual. That's right. There's no manual for that. Um, we just kind of address it like our normal stress and... Um, you know, those types of coping skills. But every situation is personal. Sure. And so absolutely. you're having to adjust as you go. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing we know is that depression is really affected by isolation um, and lack of hope. And so we really try to hone in on making sure people aren't as isolated. And, of course, with the pandemic, um, that's been real tricky. 
What are some of the signs that you know of that, it, that are indicators that someone may be in need of some counseling care? Sure, um, that's a great question. So first let me say that asking for help and seeing a counselor is a sign of strength, a sign of resilience, and a sign of growth. Sometimes people report um, poor sleep. Maybe they feel overwhelmed. They're having more bad days than good days. They're having a hard time getting out of bed, having a hard time going to class if they're a student or a college student. Uh, they're stressed around uh, family relationships or hard decisions. Maybe friends or family are telling them, you're not yourself. You're more irritable than you normally are, or you're avoiding things. Um, some people are not able to achieve the goals or objectives that they're set out to accomplish. Um, or maybe they're going through a transition or a change in life, like a new baby or a job loss, or maybe they're empty nesting, um, and this has them feel lost or stuck. The podcast that we're doing here at Forest Lake seeks to discuss how we can be transformed in the midst of, a, of loving a God who doesn't change. And I, and I just lifted up the sentence you just said about it. it's a sign of growth when you seek out help or seek out care. Talk to us a little bit about that growth and how hard it can be for someone to seek out the care that's needed. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I'm constantly mystified um, by our culture's resistance to seeking help in this area. We will go to the medical doctor um, pretty quickly. Um, we will see a massage therapist, a chiropractor, a financial advisor. Um, we lean and reveal all of our um, financial secrets to our CPAs uh, around taxes. Um, we have fitness trainers to help us exercise. But when we feel poorly, or are struggling, we hide and we avoid help. Um, God commands us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Jesus was called the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. Um, God calls us to love God as well as ourselves, and loving ourselves requires care, rest, and growth. I think, Nancy, though, sometimes we're quicker to love our neighbor than we are ourselves. I don't know why there's the stigma of shame around vulnerability and seeking help, um, but we really need to um, dispel that uh, because it's not serving us, it's keeping us um, separated and keeping us stuck. Um, sometimes people will say, I think that depression or anxiety are a sign of sin not trusting God enough or not praying hard enough, and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, but if we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we must keep these healthy as well. So we can serve God by seeking help and serving ourselves. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I, again, I see asking for help as a sign of strength. And sometimes the bravest thing we can do is to admit we have a problem and we're stuck and we realize what we're doing isn't working. Um, people tell me the hardest part about going to a counselor is making that first call. That after that, the ball is rolling and you feel like you're moving towards action. Um, and so I just encourage anybody who's listening who knows someone or who is feeling stuck to not be ashamed um, and to reach out for help. 
So how can we, as the body of Christ, care for someone who is undergoing significant challenges, significant emotional challenges? What can we do besides encouraging someone to seek out outside help? Sure. Um, First, let me say, um, if someone you know says anything about not wanting to live or they say they want to die, it's most important to call for help, to take that seriously. Um, The suicide hotline number is 1-800-237-8255. And they also have a text app now that you can text 741-741 and speak to a trained counselor um, who is trained in suicide mitigation. Um, Or just call 911. Sometimes if you see a family member or a friend who's taking risk-taking behavior or it's making you scared, uh, it's a good time to ask for help or make a referral as well. Um, I just want to make sure we keep our loved ones safe and the people around us. Another scenario might be a friend or family member seems to need help outside of the scope that we feel we can provide. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with someone else's problems. Um, We're called to be their brother or sister in Christ, not their therapist. Um, And so how can we help them um, see that maybe what we're doing isn't really helping um, and we care about them enough that we want things to change for them in a positive way. Um, They may express they want something to change or that they're miserable but can't find a way out and this would be a good time to refer. I often find that words that externalize the problem are more helpful to people and easier to hear. Words like, you're not yourself. Um, This isn't like you. you know, I'm, I'm sensing that you might be really down right now, and maybe that's the depression talking and not you, or maybe that's your anxiety talking, um, so that the person doesn't feel like something's wrong with them, but it's more a condition that's affecting things. I noticed that when you were mentioning those statements, they were statements. They were not inquisitive questions where it's an interview where you're asking somebody why are you acting like this it's tell me why you're feeling this way tell me why you're not quite acting like you have been in the past and so there's a little bit of a difference it doesn't feel as threatening when you ask someone that way right and i think it's um it's also really important to acknowledge the fact that we all have times Uh, and, and you know mental health is not about them It's about us. We are them. And every one of us is vulnerable to feeling anxious or depressed. Um, I often say that mental health is not a box you check. Yes, I have good mental health. No, I have poor mental health. It's a line graph. We are all somewhere on that sliding line graph. And we are in a different place on different days. Um, You know, during times when work is very heavy um, or I know about a lot of really hard things, I have to get outside and really exercise. I have to pull out the paints and do something creative. I have to feed myself um, because all of us have the ability or the um, vulnerability uh, to becoming um, unwell. And so 
it's, I think that's the thing that we need to, um, when we are talking with someone, to let them know that they are not alone in this, that this is just part of being human. On the same point that you just made about it not being a box that you can check, anxiety, depression, those are not things that can just be cured. Um, There's a chance it could be a recurrence down the road too. And so it's important to understand that if you do seek out the help, that it's that it's sometimes ongoing, that you need to continue to seek out the help that's needed. Sure, absolutely. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do is restore balance in people's lives and get them back to a place of equilibrium. And there's often, uh, I often ask my clients, what is your mental health equation? What do you need in your life? to um, feel stable and sometimes it you know it might be a young person who's getting ready to make a move and i'll say let's think that through you've got four or five options for grad school do you know that you need to be in a place where you can be outside a lot do you need to be near water do you need to have access to pets you know do you need to be in a room by yourself or do you need roommates i mean let's think about those things that we know about you do we need you need to be near a place where there's a swimming pool. My daughter Grace loves to swim, and I think it's part of her health package, mental health as well as physical, and she needs to be in a community that has a good swimming pool. Um, And so to really think about um, those things, not just as creature comforts, but as things that help us maintain balance um, and equilibrium in our lives. On the Presbyterian Mission website, uh, there's this quote from Reverend Monica Coleman. Many people will describe depression as a kind of intense grief. It is a deep sadness. It's like heartbreak, agony, and despair all at once. I think depression is worse than grief. Nancy, do you think that depression can be worse than grief? Well, Ed, frankly, I think both are pretty horrible. Um, but there is some distinctions that I have noticed and read in the literature as well as noticed in my practice. Um, when someone experiences a loss of something or someone dear, they will experience similar symptoms um, that are similar to depression. And they might be poor sleep, poor appetite, weight loss, sadness and despair, um, fatigue, and maybe low energy. But people with grief have sad and happy memories. They may be tearful at times, and they may have mild feelings of guilt. But they're able to feel worth and hope, and they're able to think about the future, even if that future is different from what they thought it was going to be. And gradually, over a span of time, grief feelings begin to slowly remit. And there's not a prescribed number of weeks or months. Um, You know, my thinking is the bigger the role, the bigger the hole. Um, When my mom died 10 years ago, suddenly, um, she had played a big role in my life, and it was a big hole. But over time, you do retain, you regain your equilibrium or your balance, and you return to normal life. In major depression, um, these feelings are often unrelenting, and they make people feel desperate and isolated. Um, Sometimes people start to have thoughts of suicide, and these thoughts are more about the pain that they're having than they are about death. 
and daily functioning at work and at home are often affected and people feel like they can never climb out of that pit. They've lost hope. They've lost hope and they don't see a way out. Um, sometimes they'll talk about being at the bottom of the well. So people with depressive symptoms will have a loss of interest in pleasurable activities. And this is really hard. And this may sound like someone saying, I used to love to sing and play the piano, but now I don't have the energy to do it anymore. I had a client who said to me, I used to love to play with my grandchildren, but that takes too much energy and I don't get any joy out of that anymore. And that broke my heart. To think of a loving grandmother who couldn't play with her grandchildren anymore because she felt so bad. Um, sometimes I'll ask clients, what brings you joy? And they will say nothing. Um, and so that's depression. Um, depression also has feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness, and people feel very tired. They can't get enough sleep. You'll find them, they'll run back to the bed to sleep because it's, it's kind of a numbing out place. Um, they often feel really guilty, they might feel agitated, and sometimes suicidal thoughts will creep in then. They feel so bad, they just want the bad feeling to end. Or they feel so bad and worthless, they think the world would be better off without them. And this is when depression can be more painful than grief. There's a great scene in the West Wing where Josh Lyman, this is maybe season one, but Josh Lyman has undergone some trauma and his boss, the chief of staff in the White House, Leo McGarry, is waiting for him after he, Josh spent several days with a, with a therapist. Leo stayed late in the White House that night. And so Josh approaches him and says, why'd you stay so late? And Leo comes back and says to Josh, man falls into a hole, doctor walks by, throws a prescription down, friend walks by and falls into the hole with him. And both of them are now on the bottom of the hole. The guy that was originally in the hole says, are you an idiot? Why'd you fall in with me? And the friend says, I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. Yeah, and that's it's so beautiful. important yeah. that we do what we can to identify how we can help somebody to get some sense of a hope. And that's why I think what the, the work that you all do to provide pathways for someone to, to find hope, you're not necessarily giving them the things to, find, to be hopeful for, but you're leading them on the path to recognize what is good in their life, what they can be hoping for. That's why the work that y'all do is so important. And it's really hard. It can be, but it also is really rewarding um, when people feel better and that is such a gift uh, and a blessing just like ministry to walk with people um, when they are vulnerable it's it's a privilege um, and it's uh, it's an honor and a holy moment well just as Brad says the church is the only institution that walks with people from cradle to grave the fact that you are now walking with people as early as three years old y'all are almost doing the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it's amazing that three-year-olds can have anxiety, but that's our world. So moving just to a larger question here, Nancy, how can Christ followers 
in Columbia, South Carolina, we, the body of Christ, do what the greater Presbyterian church says is one of its missions. The mission that it says is the church is called to advocate politically and socially for a confident, just, and compassionate mental health system in full parity with other illness and wellness care. So what can we do, God's children in this world? Um, I think that, you know, the change begins with me um, and to be vulnerable with um, and be willing to be a little transparent with one another when we're not doing well. Um, and again, to remember that um, this is not, mental health is not a question about us and them. We are them. And um, Ed and I recently went to a workshop called Soul Shop, which um, discussed suicide prevention. And they encouraged each person there to list three names of people that they would call if they got to a place where they were uncomfortable or they felt like they might hurt themselves or do something risky. And that was a really hard exercise for me because not that I don't have three good friends, but I didn't want to put that burden on someone else. And, but I think it's really important as the church, because where else are we going to do this? We certainly aren't going to have these conversations at the gym or over the, you know, bridge club table or playing bunko, you know, or on the tennis court. This is the place where we are going to have those conversations and um, to care about one another enough to say, who would you call? Um, and, and, and I think to, that creates a safety net in a congregation because then we all have a list. And it's not just about those people who we quote unquote see as vulnerable who might need that, but each one of us is equal. Um, there was one quote that I heard, which is the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that none of us is above the other. And I think that's part of being a brother and sister in Christ. So that's a micro answer um, to a macro question. Um, but I think to, to be open to exploring um, and being aware of uh, the state of mental health practices in our schools. Um, you know, Brad and I were talking about this last night and he mentioned an article in the state newspaper, which I printed for you, um, about DJJ and how there has been woefully few um, services for mentally ill um, youth who are incarcerated at DJJ. And there's some with serious mental illnesses. And since 2015, when Hall Institute closed, um, they are now warehoused with the DJJ population. And according to this article, a quarter of the DJJ population right now, those teenagers, have serious mental health diagnoses and they're not getting the treatment they need. And they're just getting worse. And that's not okay. And so this is, that's a, a local community, um, statewide issue um, that's being lifted up. And so how can we, as um, Christ believers and followers, um, take up this or another cause. Um, attend a NAMI meeting. NAMI is a National Alliance for Mental Illness. Uh, get involved um, in some way. When Curry Johnson died to suicide this fall, several of the parents who were Curry's friends and friends of the Johnsons um, have gotten involved in suicide prevention, or volunteered 
to answer phone lines or do something, get trained. Um, I think just having it be on your radar um, and uh, being sensitive to the needs of others is part of what we need to do. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Nancy, for being with us today. This has been Transforming Faith, a podcast produced by Forest Lake Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. This podcast is a labor of love produced by us with indispensable help from Andy Hayward. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contactus at flpc.org. Until next time, we wish you God's peace.